Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to the kitchen table. We are continuing a series, this is actually the third in the series, titled, When Practical Meets Jesus. This is a series that we're talking about these practical moments in our motherhood, this just life with kids. How can we look at those moments through the lens of the gospel, of who Jesus is? How does it come to life so that it can come actually out of our mouth in conversation with our children? How can we see these times as holy, set apart, designed for you and me to be like we are invited to be in 1 Corinthians, where he says that you and I are ambassadors of reconciliation. How, how, can, how can we look at this and say that? So this week we are talking about the one of the big places in motherhood, and that is sibling rivalry. We have talked about sibling rivalry here before on the podcast, and you can go back and find those episodes. But I really wanted to take you through the same five-step thinking process with the lens being, how do I apply these five things when my kids argue, fuss, fight, don't get along? What does it look like? And what am I called to do in that? Because we live in a culture that kind of says, well, kids are going to fuss and fight. I mean, like, what are you going to do? And then we have another part of culture that just says, I mean, yeah, just tell them to be quiet. Tell them to stop talking. Tell them to go to their rooms, separate them, and be done with it and ignore it. But I want you to understand that you can have a God perspective on this that I believe goes far deeper than any methodology of affecting behavior. Because again, and we've talked about this throughout different podcast series, more than the behavior on the surface is the attitude or what is going on, the environment of the heart. And as a mom or as a dad, we are invited into this holy place with the Lord where we get to shepherd a soul where we get to speak to the heart of the child, where we can expose even the sin that that child is struggling with because we're going to be able to apply the grace that Jesus gives him or her in that moment. But the only way to do that is to stop seeing the symptom as something that needs a solution. That isn't what needs the true solution. It's not the symptoms we need. You know, you and I should probably, I think I can definitely be honest. Let me start with me and say that there are many days 
maybe even seasons or times in my life where I can just be rude and short-tempered and out of sorts to anyone and all things, and I want to justify it. But if I'm really honest with myself, I know that there is a heart problem. There is a space where I am not occupying intimacy with God, and it pours out on everybody around me as being short-tempered or selfish or rude or whatever, fill in the blank. It comes out as sin. It comes out as a symptom. And so for us today, we are acknowledging and identifying sibling rivalry in our homes as a symptom. That's what it is. And we are not looking for a one, two, three solution to a symptom. We are looking for gospel grace to bathe a heart in need of a savior. And we get to be part of it, part of that conversation between our child and God. That's going to be our change in perspective today with sibling rivalry. And I know I, listen, I have eight kids and I can have all eight of them, especially when they were all younger and all living under the same house. They could all go at it all together. And I will readily admit, and if you do not know this, you need to know this secret about sibling rivalry. It is contagious. Sibling rivalry is one of those sin areas that is catching. (laughs) It is like a virus of the soul. So, You can all wake up and be happy in the morning and one person comes down grumpy and fussy and rude to somebody else and snatches something or makes a rude comment or tells somebody else to be quiet and immediately it moves into the second person who's experienced it and they begin to do that to someone else. It slowly will move into you as the adult in the room. It is contagious. It requires... Jesus for healing. And so when we are working through these areas, we need to understand it's not one and done. It will never be one and done. And so I understand it is absolutely wearisome on certain days. Makes you want to pull your hair out. Makes you want to scream can make me turn into the most horrible example of myself as I stomp through the house, fussing at everybody for fussing. It is its own beast. But we want today to gain a different perspective on it, put it in its right place the way God sees it, and then apply gospel conversations there. And keep returning to that with our kids and keep returning to that with our kids and keep returning. Because I promise you, over time, in consistency, with prayer, messaging does get through. It does. So we're going to start today at the beginning. I want to remind you of the five main points that we've been talking through. The five truths, if you haven't heard another one of these in this series, we've talked about 
baby, baby and um, toddlerhood in terms of potty training and sleep, sleep training concepts. We've talked about it in terms of academics with your kids about them feeling like how do they measure up with others and how do we look into them and talk to them. And now this week it's sibling rivalry. But here are the five truths. And we're going to take these truths. They are our main things. And we're going to plug everything in to these five things. Okay. So truth number one, we understand that we have been invited into a relationship with God where we are a shepherd for a soul in need of a savior. That our child is a soul in need of a savior. And we get to partner with God there. This is a beautiful entity of a child. So if we keep that prominent in the front part of our brain, when the day is going completely ballistic and haywire and everybody's being rude and all the things, sometimes we have to return to a quiet room in our house and go, I am shepherding souls in need of a savior. And it is a holy calling. God help me. I just have to do that some days. So that's number one. Number two, we are going to be asking God for his wisdom and his perspective. We are wanting to see the situation the way he sees it, not the way we feel it, not the way we interpret it, not the way we're overwhelmed by it. We want to see the situation in his lens. And then number three, we choose consistency in our messaging and in our pivoting. So we talk a lot on this podcast about pivoting to the gospel, about beginning to learn the pivot to truth and um, identifying what really is in the root and pivoting. But really what this is, is these are the pillars of truth that we are going to hold to no matter what. They become our framework for this issue. So we're going to talk about our framework. How do we see sibling rivalry? What are the pillars we are holding to and interpreting things through? And then number four, again, I've said this every week, it is not in place of importance that it's number four, because I think it's probably the most important. But we pray. We pray very intentionally for our children. We pray scripture for our children and over our home. This is a battlefield, and we're going to talk about that today. And then number five, we speak words of life. In the moments where we really want to um, cloak everything with you always and y'all are so, or this is horrible, or this is the worst, we're going to begin to eliminate that messaging from our lips. And we're going to learn to speak words of life. Those are our five points. So let's fill them in with sibling rivalry. (laughs) How does it look? So... Number one, we understand that there's a soul in need of a savior and that we are invited to shepherd it. What does this mean? Well, what this means is that your child was given to you on purpose. It's not an accident. And the second child, the child they always want to fight with, was given to you on purpose, not on accident, with and created the way they were both created, with the temperaments they have, the personalities they have, the driving forces 
the way they receive love, the way they communicate, they were created and put into your home specifically. I don't care how they got there. And we need to understand that too. God is sovereign over all things. Those children in your home are there because God knows that you are the best shepherd to introduce them to a savior. But we want to introduce them to the concept that, hey, you're not here by accident. You're not here and you just have to get through until you can get out and get away from these people in this house. No. That these interactions are actually designed to refine you and to refine me. To change us, to make us more like Jesus. Mostly because very close, intimate relationships show us where we are lacking. They highlight the places we sin. They declare how we don't measure up. We don't love well enough. We aren't kind enough. We aren't, you know, sharing enough. We aren't fill in the blank. That will be highlighted in these relationships. You see, every other relationship, and I teach this to my children from a very young age, every other relationship you can get away from. You can, you know, you have friends and you pick your friends because your friends are like you. So you like you, so you like your friends. And when you get in a fuss or a fight with your friend, you can leave. You can just walk away from them at school. You can, you know, call me and I'll come pick you up. Like you can leave them. And so there's not that place of rubbing that says this need, this is going to forever keep coming up because we live in the same house kind of rubbing. But that kind of rubbering, that sandpaper relationship happening thing is only inside of family dynamics because you can't get away. You shouldn't get away. You should allow the spirit of God to begin to work in you and to begin to work in the other person. So again, we are understanding this is a child in need of a savior. They may not know that they need a savior and they're being confronted by their sin and everything in their flesh wants to go. I'm not the problem. But I promise you in all of these interactions, it's two way. And we're going to talk about or how we gain wisdom in it in point number two. But right now, what we want to begin to understand for ourselves as a mom is that none of this is by accident and it has a holy purpose. And it is to highlight to our children, their desperate need for a savior that they can't get along with everybody perfectly, but that those are the conversations when sin is sitting there in the middle of the conversation that we get to pivot to a savior and say, but there's hope for you. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to help you in this area. He wants to free you in this area. He wants to um, give you victory in this area. That's the conversation we're having. But we impart that in this place of saying, you know, we, we need to learn that it's okay. It's okay to see your sin. It's okay to look at it and see selfishness laying on the table or to see Honestly, to see hate laying on the table because our children can feel like they hate each other. And and we need to be mom enough to say, how are you feeling about that person? And let them name it. Let them say, I hate them. 
And for us not to respond with this pullback, oh, no, you don't. You do not. You can't hate your brother. Because the enemy's convincing them that they hate him. So we need to help them name it, look at it, identify it, see what it is in its ugliness, in its meanness, in the wretchedness of that space. Because only when it is laid out, confessed, right? Only when we confess our sins to one another, can we pray for one another. Only when we confess our sins with each other can we actually have great conversation that points to the one who brings repentance when we confess to him. But the enemy wants to convince your kid to not say it and to lie about it and act like everything's fine or whatever. So, you know, this first thing is you're not here by accident. And I totally get the fact that your flesh is going to feel or act like or this is going to be highlighted, or we're going to see these kind of moments. And yes, there's sin, but we're going to work through it. We're going to walk through it because just like we talked about last week, when we come alongside of our child who is desperately needing identity because maybe they don't feel like they measure up in academics, we come alongside of our child offering a shepherding shoulder that says, I'm going to walk with you through this and point you to the one who will set you free. So that's number one. Number two is we understand God's perspective and that kind of, those kind of things kind of marry together. His perspective is this is designed to refine, you know, his perspective is we, we bend our heart to accept and to submit and to repent from what we have done to another. And we learn how to forgive that that's his perspective. But his wisdom is the second part of that number two. Like we are asking for his wisdom, we're asking acting for asking for his perspective. When we ask for his wisdom, when we talk about being a student of your child, this is the point, this is the place where you're sitting with the Lord going, God, give me eyes to see where my children do not get along. What are the trigger points? What are the hardest uh, places relationally for them. So like sometimes our kids can get along great in the home because they each have their own room and they kind of have different schedules and they kind of pass each other more, but you put them in a car together and it's like two cats in a gunny sack. So why is that? That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying, God, show me, give me eyes to see where the trigger points are. Give me eyes to see what relationships are more triggering than others. So if you have more than two children, then you probably will join me in testifying that certain personalities have more friction than other personalities. And so it is understanding which personalities have more friction, be it because their sins rub harder against each other, their sin tendencies, be it because they're maybe too similar to each other, you know, um, they, you know, they feel more competitive with one another, which is part of sibling rivalry. And we need to understand that. We'll talk about that. But so it's, it's like in there, we're asking God for wisdom to see it and to see it in its fullness, to understand it as best we can. And we write it down. We're examining the relationships in our family. And then 
Point number three is we are deciding what are the consistent message pillars, the places and how are we going to pivot when these times occur? Because we have got to be ready ahead of time because in the moment it's contagious. Sin is contagious. And so we will catch it. We'll get angry. We're going to get disgusted. We're going to be over it. We're tired of it. You know, whatever you fill in the blank, frustrated. I mean, fill in the blank with your terminology for it, but you're triggered. And now you're going to be sinning if you are not understanding the main pivot points, the places and the way that you are going to take pillars of truth and hold to them in these moments. So uh, really quickly, I thought maybe it would be helpful for you to understand the way we actually practically work out sibling rivalry across different ages in our home. So first of all, what I want you to understand is that I think when I've looked at rivalry, rivalry comes from competition, which is pride. Okay. The sin root of that is pride. I need to be best. It can come from selfishness. I want. It can come from resentment. He has or he is. So they're looking out and they're believing and their resentment is creeping in. And rivalry finally can come from unfilled love tanks. So, well, okay, so how does that work? Well, um, let's take uh, sharing. Let's take sharing. So in our home, sharing can be highlighted typically by selfishness. I want, you, you know, you have and I want. That's the big issue. And we see this very early, very young. Uh, and and so in our home, we have chosen um, some main ideas. The first main idea is that we, we all share all things. Like we are a community. Okay. As a family, we're a community. So how does that practically play out? Well, it means that whoever, when we're talking about toys on the floor, okay, whoever is playing with a toy has rightful ownership in that moment of that toy. Unless, and there's one caveat here, because I believe that there should be one caveat. Now this is getting down to the micromanaging of something, but my one caveat is if it is what I call, and the language we have in our home is it's special to me and you get two to three special to me things. So my kid's lives, one of their special to me's was obviously always their lovey, the thing that they slept with and the thing that they loved. Like nobody else could take their lovey and go do something with it. That was a no, you don't touch the lovey. And then typically, you know, after a birthday, even if you get five or six things, there's like the one winning present. That's a special to me. Everything else, I'm going to help this child learn how to share, not share so that somebody else mismanages it, does something wrong with it, uses it up. Like not, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is what happens typically in our home will be that somebody is happily playing on the floor with a bunch of his brother's superheroes. His brother's in another room playing Legos. His brother walks into the room, sees all the superheroes, and in that moment is engulfed in the desire to have all the superheroes. He doesn't want somebody else playing with them anymore. He's He's totally filled with the selfishness of I want. And so he walks over there and starts snatching and saying, those are mine. So in our home, there is no snatching. You may communicate 
but you may not snatch. So we work on that from a very young age. It is inside of this whole messaging concept. But um, then we begin to work through, we model good communication, which is, I know you're playing with my superheroes. And when you're finished playing with my superheroes, will you please bring them all to me? Because I would like to play with them. And then the other children is encouraged to graciously say, of course I will. And then this is my part in it. So give me eyes to see. So then the next natural sin thing is a child who is originally playing with the superheroes is now like, well, I'm not ever going to give him the superheroes back because I want the superheroes just because he wants them. Never mind the fact that he was probably getting sick of it and was looking for something else to play with. So I'm looking to make sure that that child is now graciously going to return the superheroes to the child who identifies that they are his. In good order, all of them kindly. Thank you for letting me play with them. That's the modeling communication that we use. That's not easy. It, it, it takes energy and it takes time and it takes lots and lots of conversations and lots and lots of modeling. But it's important. Um, the lie of love, the lie that, um, or the lie of resentment that says he has or he is, the lie, that lie says he has more things than I do. He has more approval than I do. He is the one that everybody likes more. And we need to dig down and unearth that lie. It must be examined. It is a lie of comparison and the enemy brings that lie against our kids from a very early age. And we want them to speak out the lie they are hearing. So it is when there is rivalry and I'm beginning to see, wow, this is just resentment. This kid resents the other kid. Then I need to identify and unearth what it is that is causing that resentment. And I want to unearth it all the way down to what lie of comparison are they believing? Because that is the lie of the enemy that is growing bitterness and distance and ultimately hatred between kids in our home. And so we seek to unearth it and to have it lay out on a table, not a table where we're demanding it and shouting at them. No, I'm talking about in calm and loving conversation, patiently going, tell me what you hear. Tell me what you think. Why do you not like them? What, what do you feel like about them? You know, and we begin to ask these questions because we are digging out, honestly, the roots of a weed, which is a lie. The other one is the lie of love. Now, these are very similar. So it's the lie of comparison is he's better than me. The lie of love says he's loved more than me. And again, we want to root that out. We want to see what is down at the very base of that. And I promise you, if you are patient enough and you pursue it enough, and I'm not saying that you do it all in one sitting, it may take time and time again of returning to that. And the first time you hear, well, you love so-and-so more than you love me. And it's honestly, I'm going to be encouraging to you. Don't just go, no, I don't. Turn real quick on that child Look, squat down, look him in the eye and go, you know, that is a lie from the enemy that you're hearing because I love you guys the same. But in this moment, are you feeling and you need to unearth what it is because the enemy is going to absolutely capitalize on something 
and we want to help them see that something through the correct lens. It may be, well, you, you know, you bought them a toy at the store today and you didn't get me one. You must love them more than me. And so we, we work through that. You have to, I'm going to encourage you, be wise, be on guard, look for it, the live comparison, the live love. They are lies the enemy uses to absolutely stalk and deceive, attack, ensnare, and harass our kids. That's what he does anyway. We know that in scripture. And then the unfilled love tank. You're going to see your children jockeying for position in the home, jockeying for attention, trying to, to be the one that you talk to the most, trying to sit next to you, trying to, I don't know, fill in the blank with how they jockey, position themselves. So the best um, offense for that is to see it, to see it happening and not ignore it. But go to the child jockeying. Put your arm around that child. Bend down that moment. Look them in the eye and go, you know, I love you. Do you need some? And just ask him, do you need some extra time with mom? Would you like to help me fold laundry? I could, I would love to spend some time with you. And I've got to fold laundry right now, but maybe you want to do it with me. Do you want to go with me to the store? I'm going to the store in a little bit. Just you and me. Do you want to And understand that jockeying for position is oftentimes a perceived unfilled love tank. Doesn't mean that you aren't filling it. It means that they believe that you're that it's emptier. So they're desperate for attention. So again, we're asking God for wisdom. We're looking for eyes to see and we're going to engage in those places because these things are just symptoms of a heart in need of a savior. And the way a child goes, man, Jesus is worth following is when he has seen grace and mercy and love extended. Conversations have been had. Depth has occurred of looking at what's going on in your heart, helping them put words to what they feel, especially when our kids are little or they can't even put words to it yet. They just feel yucky. So we help them put words to it. And then we step forward into what would be right What would God call you to do? How does God call you to behave? So there's another, uh, when we look at sibling rivalry from a behavioral perspective of just the fussing and fighting, there's a secondary, which to me is being bossy or tattling. And it falls into sibling rivalry for me. And just really quickly, because I know our time is short, um, you know, for bossiness, when we have older children wanting to boss around the younger children, it's hard because we do want them engaging with their wise eyes, their wise ears to say, hey, you shouldn't climb on the roof. That's not a good idea, right? To a younger brother, sister, you'll get hurt. So we we want wisdom, but they are not called to dictate, to be a dictator. So what we talk about in our home is that we're calling you to to be a leader. And a leader is wise and a leader is humble. So in humility, you can communicate wisdom. 
to a younger child. I don't think it would be wise for you to do that. I don't think that would be a good idea. Do you think that would be a good idea? So that's a, that's a, those are conversation pieces that we model in our home. Do you think that would be a good idea? So now when you have a child that you're like, this child now is hyper-concerned because Johnny's about to climb up on the roof and he wants to go play on the roof, which has happened in my home. So that's why I'm using it as an example. My kids literally have done this. The other child challenges with wise leadership. I don't think this is a good idea. I don't think this is wise. Do you think this is wise? Is mom going to say this is a good idea? And then the next thing is, go get help. So that's how we change the narrative. So it's not, mommy, mommy, Johnny's climbing on the roof. He's so bad. Whatever. It's mommy, we need help. Johnny's on the roof. So they have to go through and they have to have already, they have to have already communicated with Johnny. And then they can come to me and get help. But we do not tattle for tattle's sake. Because that actually exposes a heart that is jockeying for position. And then that goes back to that conversation. Um, The enemy's desire is to destroy relationships. He wants to disrupt the concept that God created in our families. All through scripture, we see all the things that he does. He schemes, he stalks, he deceives, he attacks he lies, he ensnares, he hinders, and he harasses. Those are all straight from scriptures. It's what he does. It is what he will do in your home. This is a battlefield in which you and I are the warriors. We know the truth. We have the gospel. And we may be the only saved individual in our home in some days. Do you understand that? Like if you're a mom and you're the one at home with your kids that day, you may be the only saved person there. And you're called to the standard of doing battle against an enemy who wants to absolutely destroy relationships from a very young age in the home. He would like nothing less than your three-year-old to hate your five-year-old and for it to continue for the rest of their lives. To resent them, to be annoyed, think they're the stupidest person they've ever met in the world. But instead, this is a holy place of relationship where they begin to learn how to love someone else well. So the the scriptures as a family that we have looked at over the years are pretty, pretty like you're going to know these scriptures. So the first one is 1 Corinthians, the passage is 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about, you know, if I speak with the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith, but have not love, I am nothing. So what is he saying at the beginning? He's saying we can act so good, but if we're not loving, if we don't have love, it's for nothing. And then he gets into well, what is love then? Well, this is love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Have your children memorize that passage and then let's walk it out. Let's work it out. You know, the two things in there that I just love is love does not insist on its own way. And then love believes all things. 
So what does it mean to believe all things? This is just a quick little something. Actually, this passage, when you break this one down and you look at what does that mean? What is Paul trying to get across there? It means that love believes the good in all things. So oftentimes in family relationships and family dynamics, because we know each other intimately, we automatically jump to conclusions. Well, they always do that. This is what, who they are. They're always so annoying. You can hear that, especially in older kids. You're going to hear those kinds of conversations. And love believes the good in the other person. So this becomes a, a critical passage. The second passage that is important as our for our family, and we've used it for many years and hung some big pillars there, is uh, Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And so it keeps going on about um, some ways that we engage with one another. And again, for this, it says, when it says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, Again, in another translation that says, making allowance for one another. And there have been lots of times in my family walk, talking with kids in bathrooms where I have to invite a child to make allowance for another child, to see things from their perspective, to understand a different person's point of view, and then to offer forgiveness when they are repentant. So when we work out Sibling rivalry, it isn't easy. It's not one and done. It's not simple. It doesn't take five minutes of your day. It can be some days the only thing you do. It can feel like it's all you do. It can make you wonder if it's worth it. Is anything getting through? Does anybody care? Does anybody listen? I mean, oh my gosh, maybe I do just want them all out of the house. I've had all those thoughts. But I want to encourage you here at the end. It is worth it. The ground you dig up, the seeds of the gospel that you are planting will bear fruit. Keep praying for your children. Pray these two passages for your home, for your family. Put them up on everybody's bathroom mirrors. Have everybody memorize these scriptures. Speak about them as you go. Talk about them along the way. When you're in the car, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Right? That's what Deuteronomy tells us to do. And in this time, in this space, and with our kids, this is one we need to do. It's worth it. Because when your kids begin to understand they're kind of a wreck and a mess, but it's greeted with, we're all wrecks and messes, and Jesus is the answer. He is our hope and his peace will guard our hearts. When we surrender to him, we are beginning gospel conversations and you can begin that very young and you can carry it out until your end days. I promise it's worth it. It is worth it. Uh, as always, please send me any questions. 
I feel like sometimes I have to fly through these, but I want you to understand. I want to answer. I want to help. I would be happy to give you tips and tricks and even, you know, you can email me. You can reach out to me on Instagram, reach out to me through the podcast and know that it is worth fighting for your children to understand that God's grace covers a multitude of sins. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.